Richard, Sicily, 
Yeah, I was going to say she was over in Delco, you know, doing that. Right. She's up in Delaware County <laughs> eating a uh, eating a Philly cheesesteak. Uh-huh. And not pattern Geno's because, yeah, that's for the tourists now. No, um, I, I meant to send you a picture. Um, there, I, I've seen this picture of Curly Howard, Larry Fine, and... Pat, the guy who created Pat's Philly yeah. cheesesteaks, uh -huh. together in a picture in Philly. And of course, they were in a bar drinking. Well, of course. And then people are like, Larry's a Philly boy. And I'm like, y'all just realizing yeah, this? Yeah. He was actually, I think he was like born on South Street. So. Yeah. Um, his his yeah. parents were jeweler. His father was a jeweler. Yeah, because there was a mural. I'm not sure if it's still there. They redid it. I think someone it. took a picture and put it put it up on a Stooge page I'm on. Yeah, but I'm not sure if they if it's actually still there or not. Or not. But yeah. uh yeah, I I read this book called uh, A Fine Stooge. It was all about Larry. The Larry Larry and Shemp are my favorites. Well, Larry's always my favorite. And the Larry I've got a bunch of three Stooges shirts on on uh, my sh wish list on Amazon. Oh, yeah. I, I found some shemps that, Shemp shirts that I want. That's cool. <laughs> but uh, when Larry was younger, he was down in his father's store, and there's like a special acid that they use to test gold. Mm -hmm. Well, Larry had his, Larry spilled it on himself. <laughs> and his the doctor told his parents, if you want him to get mobility back in the hand, yeah. Get a music lessons, so they got him violin lessons. Mm -hmm. And what instrument does Larry play when they're doing their musical numbers? The violin, which is actually like I got I got James a violin because he like he had wanted to try it then, and I found like a really good one, but it was actually like really cheap too on Amazon, so which was pretty exciting because I thought it was gonna be like a couple hundred and. It was definitely a lot less. We got it set up. They were going to come to the house, you know, lesson, private lessons. COVID hits. Ruined it all. Right. Try to do it online. Couple, I'm like, you cannot do, especially the very beginning. No. God, no. Like, yeah. And they kept trying to, like, trying, like, to tune it. And they kept putting their ear up. And I'm like, trying no. to, I'm like, I was like, this doesn't sound like it. Like it sounds exactly the same to me. Like so, I'm a, and then of course, the string breaks, and so we just cancel the whole thing and never went back to it. But There's only you know, one song I would want to learn to play on the violin. Yeah, because I mean, it was like it was a really nice one. I had everything. I mean, the case. I mean, right. It was a really pretty one. So I felt bad, but yeah, it was the whole thing all up and so we just got the refund and like nothing happened with it now it's probably too big for it so i'd want to learn how to play pop goes the weasel hey because of that stooges short that made that made yeah. really crazy uh -huh. love me some stooges oh uh, yeah speaking of which my book on ted healy came in so with probably within a few weeks we'll have our ted healy episode Yay! I've, I, I, another one. I always kind of wonder. 
I always wanted to, I wanted I forget to where learn he's... more about him. I was like, really? like talk about... I guess we should get into the show because a couple times I've been like list, watch, listening to other shows and it literally was like an hour and 20 minutes and it was the 30 minute spot is when they finally like started talking about the. All right. Like, I the subject. So I try to like be sort yeah. of, I don't have the timer on here, but I try to be All a little right. bit. All right, folks, we got a good one for you tonight. Um, this one is one where I get to play a little bit of a history professor with the show. And I'm the student because this is like the one area of what is it, like true crime slash history. I'm basically like very um, knowledgeable. Right. Right, because we're getting into like the old west with this one. We're going to talk about Jesse James, and there's so much with Jesse James and his ties to the Civil War and Reconstruction. And it's um, for those of you who actually want to read a really good book, I suggest uh, T.J. Styles, Jesse James, The Last Rebel of the Civil War. Great book. Amanda got it for me one year for Christmas and I curled up in a chair with a Coke, some cookies and a blanket and just read. So, um, so what we're going to kick in, um, those of you may know a little bit about Jesse James. He's an outlaw, uh, robber, but there was so much behind it. So Jesse Woodson James was born on September 5th, 1847 in Clay County, Missouri, near the site of present-day Kearney. Now, before we get any farther, those of you a certain age, you might remember, um, trying to remember Jack Palance used to do a show when I was a kid called Ripley's Believe It or Not. Do you, you remember that one? A little, I mean, like, I mean, I remember it. I didn't really watch it that much. I went to the museum back, like, yeah, the, the museums are fun. So. When I was a kid, um, one year he he did it started because he used to do like a a little five minute segment at the beginning of the show where he would talk about something. Well, this particular show, he was in the Jesse James home in St. Joseph, Missouri. And he kind of reenacted the death of Jesse James. And not, I, I want to say not too long after that show aired, um, my grandma Alice and I were taking my two cousins back to Kansas. They lived outside of Topeka. And we stopped in St. Joseph at the Jesse James house. Now, me being a little kid, I was excited because I, I saw this on TV. I'm at a spot that was on TV. And the, the guy working behind the counter. Even now, like, what? Yeah. I mean, oh, like well, sometimes even now, like. Yeah. Cool. Like in the movie or TV or whatever that you've like seen years ago or even like. Yeah. Really so um, the guy behind the counter, I told him about it. And he's like, oh, yes, Jack Palance was here and he was a nice man. Very friendly, because if you've seen Jack Palance on TV, he don't look friendly. 
Well, remember when he did the um at the Oscars, he did the oh the one handed push up. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. that was awesome. But, but um, right next door to the James House was a museum. I forget the name of it, and they had newspaper clippings of when he when Jack Palance was in town filming. And I remember one picture was him sitting on the porch of the museum, feet kicked up, cigar in his mouth, reading the paper. Yeah, that's cool. He seems like he would have been like cool to like, you know, hang out with, like been a good storyteller, oh, kind, you yeah, know. Just, just yeah. Films that he'd been on. Right, kind of thing. And, you know, just, just like all the films he'd been on, he, he probably had a, a wealth of knowledge. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, I wasn't like a fan. I mean, liked him and all, but yeah, I was, yeah, I was oh, like, I, when I, 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 I liked him. I mean, yeah, Carl so. Grissom in uh, the 89 Batman, Curly in the City Slicker movies. Uh -huh. Yeah. So. so, okay, he was born near present day Kearney. Uh, this area of Missouri was largely settled by people from the Upper South, especially Kentucky and Tennessee, and became known as Little Dixie for this reason. Because why the hell not? James had two full siblings. His, el his elder brother, Alexander Franklin Frank James, and a younger sister, Susan Lavina James. He was of English and Scottish descent, and his father, Robert S. James, farmed commercial hemp in Kentucky and was a Baptist minister before coming to Missouri. After he married, he migrated to Bradford, Missouri, and helped found the William Jewell College in Liberty, Missouri. He held six slaves and more than 100 acres of farmland. And Missouri was a slave state, um, but it's really weird because slavery only existed like along the Mississippi and Missouri rivers. St. Louis had just, you know, the docks, the ships coming in, you know, people there. But then once you get like farther into the state, um, the Missouri River kind of bisects north and south. So there was a lot of slavery along the Missouri River, good farmland. And once you got closer to Kansas and all that fun stuff that brought John Brown and, you know. Now, Robert traveled to California during the gold rush to minister to those searching gold. Sir. I beseech you, the Lord wants you to give that gold to the church. Yeah, there wasn't no church, but the men rather spend, spend the gold on the uh, the women and booze. I know I would. Now, Robert was there when James was three years old, and also he died in California. After Robert's death, his widow, here's a name that needs to come back, Zerelda. Now, Zerelda remarried twice, first to Benjamin Sims in 1852, and then in 1855 to Dr. Reuben Samuel, who moved into the James family home. As mother and Samuel had four children together, Sarah Louisa, John Thomas, Fanny Quantrell, and there's a reason why she's named Quantrell, and Archie Peyton Samuel. Zerelda and Samuel acquired a total of seven slaves who served mainly as farmhands in tobacco cultivation. 
Now, after a series of campaigns and battles between conventional armies in 1861, guerrilla warfare gripped Missouri, waged between secessionist bushwhackers and using forces which largely consisted of local militias known as Jayhawkers. A bitter conflict ensued, resulting in an escalating cycle of atrocities committed by both sides. Confederate guerrillas, Confederate guerrillas murdered civilian unionists, executed prisoners, and scalped the dead. Um, I believe William Quantrail, who, who was an, a known uh, bushwhacker leader in Missouri, I want to say, if I remember right, he had like a on his bandolier, he just had like human scalps just all down it as decoration. I would basically, like, I would not have like done well living in those times, just walking down the street and seeing that. I'd be like, Bleh. well, see, Missouri was tough because it, it's the northernmost slave state, but. It was a border state, so it really didn't secede and join the Confederacy. It could, like most of the border states, it can it gave troops to both sides. Now the yeah, government, the heads on the yeah, that part, yeah, it would be. Well, I it's hard be... because the state government stayed with the, with the federal union, uh -huh. but you know you start getting into the slave territories, and they were Confederate sympathizers, and with. The, the guerrilla war in Missouri, it was basically brother against brother. I would have been Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> hey, dear feller. Um, I see you're using light maple syrup. That's just not good. I'm gonna have I'm afraid I'm gonna have to shoot you, buddy. You're using that light syrup that ain't true Canadian. Hey. This hoser talked bad about hockey. We we have to rough them up now. I'm going to give them a dressing down. You, sir, are not a... <laughs> oh, I need that right now, too. I know Missouri was bad with with the guerrilla warfare. I'm, I'm trying to get a hold of some books on the guerrilla warfare in Missouri. So I'm going to talk about this later, too. No, I'm going to talk about that on the Civil War podcast. Oh, good, because I was going to say, I'm going to need to have, like, a bucket next to me, probably, for some reason, but we're good. The Union presence enforced martial law with raids on homes, arrests of civilians, summary executions, and banishment of Confederate sympathizers from the state. The James Samuel family sided with the Confederates at the outbreak of war. Frank joined a local company recruited for the secessionist Drew Lobb's army and fought at the Battle of Wilson's Creek in August 1861. He fell ill and returned home soon afterward. In 1863, he was identified as a member of a guerrilla squad that operated in Clay County. In May of that year, a Union militia company raided the James Samuel farm looking for Frank's group. They tortured Reuben Samuel by briefly hanging him from a tree. According to legend, they lashed young Jesse. Now, what's funny is, like, on some of the Civil War sites I'm on, they misspell gorilla. Uh, 
they they spell it is it like the animal. Yeah, well, that's like today. Like my mom showed, she was like on some Facebook conversation, you know, and it was supposed to be T H E Y apostrophe R E. The person wrote T H E R E. So somebody else corrected them and said, yeah, you're not using it the right way. It's supposed to be T-H-E-I-R. It's like, oh my God. So. No, usually what we do is we're... <laughs> but when, it was just, oh my God, you're not even using it right. So whenever we see that, I'm like, yeah, there was a, there was a, uh, a group of silverbacks hanging out in the bushes, just waiting. They come mm -hmm. running out, beating their chest and throwing crap at people yeah so it's basically before you correct somebody make sure you're doing it right. public space make sure you're actually you're doing it right or whatever correctly yourself words of wisdom today and i'm next so frank alluded to capture and was believed to have joined the gorilla organization led by William C. Quantrill, known as Quantrill's Raiders. It is thought that he took part in the notorious massacre of some 200 men and boys in Lawrence, Kansas, which was a center of abolitionists. Frank followed Quantrill to Sherman, Texas over the winter of 1863-64. In the spring, he returned in a squad commanded by Blutch Taylor. Was he related to, you know, Blutch? The Chevy Chase character. Yes, thank you. After they I arrived, in, that. yeah. After they arrived in Clay County, sixteen-year-old Jesse James joined his brother in Taylor's group. Taylor was severely wounded in the summer of eighteen sixty-four, losing his right arm to a shotgun blast. Ouch. The James brothers then joined the Bushwhacker group, led by William Bloody Bill Anderson. Jesse suffered a serious wound to the chest that summer. The Clay County Provost Marshal reported that both Frank and Jesse James took part in the Centralia Massacre, unfortunately not the Centralia, Pennsylvania, in which guerrillas stopped a train carrying unarmed Union soldiers returning home from duty and killed or wounded some 22 of them. The guerrillas scalped and dismembered some of the dead. The guerrillas also ambushed and defeated a pursuing regiment of Major A.V.E. Johnson's Union troops, killing all who tried to surrender, not cool, who numbered more than 100. Frank later identified Jesse as a member of the band who had fatally shot Major Johnson. And as a result of the James brothers' activities, the Union military authorities forced their family to leave Clay County. So even though they were ordered to move south beyond the Union lines, they instead moved north across the state border into Nebraska territory, not state yet. Yeah. After Bloody Bill Anderson was killed in an ambush in October, the James brothers separated. Frank followed Quantrill into Kentucky while Jesse went to Texas under the command of Archie Clement, who was one of Anderson's lieutenants. He is known to have returned to Missouri in the spring, and at the age of 17, Jesse suffered the second of two life-threatening chest wounds when he was shot while trying to surrender 
after they ran into a Union Cavalry patrol near Lexington, Missouri. And you notice a couple names of the Quantrill uh, and Archie were also names that uh, Zerelda named her children. Uh-huh. Again, you talk about good PR there, you know. We're not we're not considered Confederate sympathizers. Come here, Quantrill. Come here. Uh-huh. Archie, come here. Well, I guess that kind of explains that my James and Stuart over here, huh? <laughs> I, I meant to tell I'll tell you when we stop, but the, the, yeah. I caught something that about James Stewart that I wanted to share with you. Okay, cool. Thank you. At the end of the Civil War, Missouri remained deeply divided and pretty much still does today. The conflict split the population into three bitterly opposed factions. You had anti-slavery unionists identified with the Republican Party, segregationist conservative unionists who identified with the Democrats, and pro-slavery ex-Confederate secessionists, many of whom were also allied with the Democrats, especially in the southern part of the state. That'd probably be down in the uh, Ozarks, the um, Missouri-Arkansas border. <laughs> She's just looking. You should see her, folks. She's just kind of like looking around, trying to take in the uh, Missouri, Arkansas, there, Arkansas, the messed up state. Now, the Republican dominated Reconstruction legislature passed a new state constitution that freed Missouri slaves. It temporarily excluded former Confederates from voting, serving on juries becoming corporate officers, or preaching from church pulpits. Oh, they went that far. Well, then again, deep in the... There, there were some people deep, uh, some um, ministers in the Deep South who preached the lost cause from the pulpit. I got a book on it on my shelf. Uh, the atmosphere was volatile with widespread clashes between individuals and between armed gangs of veterans from both sides of the war. Now, Jesse recovered from his chest wound at his uncle's boarding house in Harlem, Missouri, which is across the Missouri River from the city of Kansas's River Quay, which River Quay was changed to Kansas City in 1889. Now he was tended by he he had someone who was um tending to him on um while he was recuperating, and that was his first cousin, Zerelda Mims, but they called Zerelda Z. And Zerelda was named after Jesse's mother. Jesse and his cousin began a nine-year courtship that culminated in their marriage. Because you know what? It's the South and they marry their cousins. Bada bing, 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 bing. Yeah, I'm going to catch hell for that one. Meanwhile, his former command commander, oh, Archie. Oh, yeah, going on over somewhere around. <clears throat> oh, man. Near us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you can't call them, you, you can't say that they date their cousins when they date their cousins and they used to show up on Jerry Springer saying, I love my cousin, but the goat's prettier. God bless you, Jerry. 
I was going to say, I'm going to say, rip Jerry. <laughs> God bless you, Jerry. You brought out the crazies. So Archie Clement kept his Bushwhacker gang together and they began to harass Republican authorities. Now, these men were the likely culprits in the first daylight armed bank robbery in the United States during peacetime. The robbery of the Clay County Savings Association in the town of Liberty, Missouri on February 13, 1880, or 1866. The bank was owned by Republican former militia officers who had recently conducted the first Republican Party rally in Clay County's history. During the gang's escape from town, an innocent bystander, 17-year-old George G. or George C. Jolly Wymore, a student at William Jewell College, was shot dead on the street. I wonder why he was named Jolly. I wonder I mean, too, and and yeah. I guess. I've got several scenarios running through my head, which cannot be said in polite yeah, company. I have like um, have the clean version. But I'm thinking he was that happy. He, well, yeah. I mean, you know, this could be like tell like oh, nice guy, friendly. You know, I mean, right. you know. So it kind of sucks. I, I mean, well, it sucks anyway. But you know, it's like this nice yeah, just kid, this, basically. This poor seventeen-year-old. This poor yeah. happy-go-lucky seventeen-year-old. Just catches yeah. a bullet. Yeah, you know, I mean, really, we've, I mean, the fact that we're still using that nickname for him, and it was used like, it, obviously, there was like some reason. So, I'm right. like, no, why? Now, it remains unclear whether Jesse and Frank took part in the Clay County robbery. After the James brothers success, successfully conducted other robberies and became legendary, some observers retroactively credit them with being the leaders of the robbery. Now, others have argued that Jesse was at the time still bedridden with his wound and could not have participated because he was wooing his cousin. And pitching woo. Chang Lang. No evidence has ever been found that connects either brother to the crime or that conclu conclusively rules them out. So the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. Hey, I got it right. On June 13th, 1866, in Jackson County, Missouri, the gang freed two jailed members of Quantrill's gang, killing the jailer in the effort. Historians believe that the James brothers were involved in this crime. Local violence continued to increase in the state, as Governor Thomas Clement Fletcher had recently ordered a company of militia into Johnson County to suppress guerrilla activity. Archie Clement continued his career of crime and harassment of the Republican government to the extent of occupying the town of Lexington, Missouri, on Election Day in 1866. That's voter intimidation. That's against the law. Shortly afterward, the state militia shot Clement dead. Well, he had a good life, Archie. Jughead, Betty and Veronica will miss you. James wrote about this death with bitterness a decade later. The survivors of Clement's gang continued to conduct bank robberies during the next two years, though their numbers dwindled through arrests, gunfights, and lynchings. That while, would they do it. while they later tried to justify robbing the banks, as usual, 
Most of their targets were small local banks based on local capital, and the robberies only penalized the locals that they claimed to support. On May 23rd, 1867, for example, they robbed a bank in Richmond, Missouri, in which they killed the mayor and two others. It remains uncertain whether either of the James brothers took part, although an eyewitness who knew the brothers told a newspaper seven years later positively and emphatically that they recognized Jesse and Frank James among the robbers. In 1868, Frank and Jesse James allegedly joined Cole Younger in robbing a bank in Russellville, Kentucky. Now, this guy, I wonder if he was like on the street corner and went, Hey, Frank! Jesse, hi. They like turn away, you know. Oh, uh -huh. hey, what's up? How you been? How's your folks? Jesse James did not become well known until December seventh of eighteen sixty nine, when he and most likely his brother Frank, you okay there? Luckily, started to choke. No, I was drinking. Okay, cool. Robbed the Davies County Savings Association in Gallatin, Missouri. The robbery netted little money. And not literally little money. Yeah. Right. Small I amount. I don't remember how much they got from that, but it wasn't it wasn't a huge haul. Jesse has believed have shot and killed the cashier, Captain John Sheets, mistakenly believing him to be Samuel P. Cox the militia officer who had killed Bloody Bill Anderson during the Civil War. James claimed he was taking revenge, and the daring escape he and Frank made through the middle of the posse shortly afterward attracted newspaper coverage for the first time. An 1882 history of Davies County said, quote, The history of Davies County has no blacker crime in its pages than the murder of John W. Sheets. I wonder if his descendants went on to create the Sheets chain of uh, super uh, convenience store gas stations. Um, see, if you were from Pennsylvania, you would realize that it says S-H-E-E-T-Z. But it's possible they just added the, the Z to be cool. Right. It's possible they just changed the name because, it, you know, it, it's like the one and I saw. And it doesn't remember? Yeah, it doesn't matter because Wawa rules. <laughs> and I know there's I, there's some that I've seen like here in Illinois, Southern Illinois and over Missouri called uh, Come and Go. Or Stop and Shop? No, well, I've, seen stop, I've seen Stop <laughs> and Shops, but I, but I get a bigger kick out of the uh, Come and Go. Yeah. Well, I wish the Eden Park would have moved, you know, past the middle of Pennsylvania. So Pittsburgh wins on that one. So the only known civil case involving Frank and Jesse James was filed in the Common Police Court of Davies County in 1870. In the case, Daniel Smoot, love that name, asked if $223 and 50 cents from Frank and Jesse James to replace a horse, saddle, and bridle stolen as they fled the robbery of the Davies County Savings Bank. The brothers denied the charges, saying they were not in Davies County on December 7th, the day the robbery occurred. 
Frank and Jesse failed to appear in court and Smoot won his case against them. It is unlikely that he ever collected the money due. Duh. The 1869 robbery marked the emergence of Jesse James as the most famous survivor of the former Confederate bushwhackers. It was the first time he was publicly labeled an outlaw. Missouri Governor Thomas T. Crittenden, Crittenden. set a reward for his capture. What? Crittenden. Crittenden. So I'll just say C because. Yeah. Crittenden. Yeah. Now I'm just feeling kind of dumb. This was the beginning of an alliance between James and John Newman Edwards, editor and founder of the Kansas City Times. Edwards, who was a fed former Confederate cavalryman, was campaigning to return former secessionists to power in Missouri. Six months later, after the Gallatin robbery, Edwards published the first of many letters from Jesse James to the public asserting his innocence. Over time, the letters gradually became more political in tone, and James denounced the Republicans and expressed his pride in his Confederate loyalties. Together with Edwards' admiring editorials, the letters helped James become a symbol of Confederate defiance of federal reconstruction policy. James's initiative in creating his rising public profile is debated by historians and biographers. The high tensions in politics accompanies his, his outlaw career and enhanced his notoriety. Yeah, he was the first one to have like a PR agent. Jesse. Seriously? Well, I mean, I mean Edwards, Edwards did become a pretty good PR agent for Jesse James during that. I mean, not official, obviously, you know, but it wasn't it, like it was, a good, it was a good working relationship. You know, he committed a robbery, he'd write a letter, send it to him going, I didn't. Wait, wait, I need the right voice. I didn't do it. Yeah. I'm not a crook. He, he had a PR person. Today, you know, he's been I'm, a day. I'm know. not a crook, Spiro. Tell them, Spiro, please tell these people I'm not a crook. Get, get Henry in here. God. You know, there's going to be a show where I'm just going to do the Nixon voice for the entire episode. You you you're lost on that one. Sorry. Meanwhile, yeah. I'm, seriously, that's a pretty that's a good Nick. Sparrow, tell them I'm not a crook. Quick, erase the tapes. Meanwhile, the James brothers joined with Cole Younger and his brothers John, Jim, and Bob, as well as Clell Miller. And other former Confederates to form what became known as the James Younger Gang. With Jesse as the most public face of the gang, and though the operational leadership likely shared among the group, the gang carried out a string of robberies from Iowa to Texas and from Kansas to West Virginia. They robbed banks, stagecoaches, and a fair in Kansas City, often carrying out their crimes in front of crowds and even hamming it up for bystanders. Now you know if they if they had the, the technology to take selfies back then, you know, James and everyone, Jesse and everyone would have been right. <laughs> yeah. 
Hashtag hung out with Jesse. Hashtag watch James Rob Bank. Jesse, can I get your autograph? Sure. Spiro, come on over here. Spiro, take our picture. Oh. Hey, Homer. I'm Gerald Ford. On July 21st, 1873, they turned to train robbery, derailing a Rock Island line train from Adair, Iowa, and stealing approximately three grand, which is equivalent to 73000 in today's money. Now, for this, they wore Ku Klux Klan masks. Because nothing scares people more than the Klan. By this time, the Klan had been suppressed in the South by President Grant's use of the Enforcement Acts. Former rebels attacked the railroads as symbols of threatening centralization. The gang's later train robberies had a lighter touch. The gang held up passengers only twice, choosing in all other incidents to take only the contents of the express safe in the baggage car. John Newman Edwards made sure to highlight such techniques when creating an image of James as a kind of Robin Hood. Despite public sentiment toward the gang's activities, there is no evidence that the James gang ever shared any of the robbery money outside of their personal circle. Guess what, folks? You're getting squat. Jesse and his cousin Z married on April 24th, 1874. They had two children who survived to adulthood. Now, as you know here, we, we've got this, this great partnership with Jesse and John Newman Edwards. Jesse decided to honor that by naming his oldest boy Jesse Edward James and Mary Susan James. Now, twins Gould and Montgomery James died in infancy. Jesse Jr. became a lawyer who practiced in Kansas City, Missouri, and Los Angeles, California. I tell you, I'm not the crook that my father was. I'm all legal. I mean, I'm all lawyer. In 1874, the Adams Express Company turned to the Pinkerton National Detective Agency to stop the James Younger Gang. The Chicago-based agency worked primarily against urban professional criminals as well as providing industrial security such as strike breaking. Now, for those of you who want, basically, if like a coal mine or something was striking, the owners would call in the Pinkertons and they'd rough up the people. And also, Alan Pinkerton served as... But in later decades... You're right. Well, and you know, they also would provide security and well, other they, services for the Army Navy games. Yeah, later on when, when they went more might, legitimate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did the work for them with the Army Navy back in game Billy back in the sixties. So well Alan yeah. Pinkerton. Hmm? Yeah, yeah. Alan Pinkerton uh came from Mm -hmm. Alan came from Ireland. Into personal right. And he served as like he was supposed to he he protected Lincoln when he was coming from Illinois to DC because of the, the 
plot to kill him in Maryland. Mm -hmm. You know, when we went to um Ford's Theater and we went downstairs and there was that costume, like the, oh, the yeah. shawl, that's what Link, that's what Pinkerton dressed him in to get him through yeah. Baltimore. When all I can hear on your like was me going, James, James. <laughs> um, but Pinkerton served as his spy master and he worked with uh George McClellan and he kept inflating the numbers, feeding in the McClellan's ego that he was drastically outnumbered. Yeah, but yeah, probably also could have used him at Ford's theater too. So Actually, he did have a guard there that night, but... That's what I'm saying, but he could have used a Pinkerton guard. True. Yeah. Actually, he was supposed to take Ward Hill, Lamont, or, yeah, Ward Hill, his friend from Springfield, but he gave him the night off, and then he had a guard who was supposed to be sitting outside the door where we passed to go to the door. Yeah. But he decided, I'm going to go get a drink at the bar next door. Which I'm sure, again, somebody else would have decided to do. <laughs> well, if, if I was there, I probably would have stopped John Wilkes Booth. I'd have tackled that son of a bitch. And... Or I could have been like, hey, John, can I have your autograph? And, like, you know, distracted him. So. Oh, yeah. Well, he loved the pretty woman. Right now, I don't feel it, but, you know. Like, oh, don't worry. John would have... John would have looked at you and like, my fine darling, how are you? Looking like distracted <laughs> with your charm. I'd be like, what's that? You're right. <laughs> okay. Because the gang received support by many former Confederate soldiers in Missouri, they eluded the Pinkertons. Joseph Witcher, an agent dispatched to infiltrate Zerelda Samuel's farm, was soon found out and they killed him. Two other agents, Captain Louis J. Lull and John Boyle, were sent after the Youngers. Lull was killed by two of the Youngers in a roadside gunfight on March 17, 1874. But before he died, Lull fatally shot John Younger. A deputy sheriff named Edwin Daniels also died in the skirmish. Helen Pinkerton, the agency's founder and leader, took on the case as a personal vendetta. Dun, dun, dun. I will have my revenge. Or I will have their revenge. Well, he was Irish, so revenge comes naturally. I can't do an Irish accent, so lucky, everybody. Uh, <laughs> mine's, mine sounds half Irish, half Southern. Oh, he began to work with former Unionists who lived near the James family farm. On the night of January 25th, 1875, he staged a raid on the homestead. Detectives threw an incendiary device into the house. It exploded, killing James's younger half-brother, Archie, named for Archie Clement, and blowing off one of Zerelda Samuel's arms. Afterward, Pinkerton denied that the raid's intent was arson. But the biographer Ted Yeatman found a letter by Pinkerton in the Library of Congress in which Pinkerton declared his intention to, quote, burn the house down, end quote. Many residents were outraged by the raid on the family home. The Missouri State Legislature 
narrowly defeated a bill that praised the James and Younger brothers and offered them amnesty. Allowed to vote and hold office again, former Confederates in the legislature voted to limit the size of rewards the governor could offer for fugitives. This extended a measure of protection over the James Younger gang by minimizing the incentive for attempting to capture them. The governor had offered rewards higher than the new limit only on Frank and Jesse James. Across a creek and up a hill from the James house was the home of Daniel Eskew, another cool name, who is thought to have been killed by James or his gang on April 12, 1875. They may have suspected Eskew of cooperating with the Pinkertons in the January of that year, arson of the James house. On September 7, 1876, the opening day of hunting season in Minnesota, the James Younger Gang attempted a raid on the First National Bank of Northfield, Minnesota. The robbery quickly went wrong, however, and after the robbery, only Frank and Jesse James remained alive and free. Cole and Bob Younger later said that they selected the bank because they believed it was associated with the Republican politician Adelbert Ames, another name that needs to come back, the governor of Mississippi during Reconstruction, and the Union General Benjamin Butler, Ames's father-in-law, and the Union commander of Occupied NOLA. Ames was a stockholder in the bank, but Butler had no direct connection to the bank. Now, the, Butler's got an interesting story during the war, but he, he's not liked in New Orleans. Well, no, it, it it's due to the fact that... Um, in general, anything to do with it? <laughs> um... Like, it, it it went with um the 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 very prim and proper women of New Orleans would spit on Union soldiers. So he basically said, "All right, he passed." Hmm? There are ladies down there. Well, right, but he basically told them, "He goes, listen, if you guys are gonna act like women of the night, you're gonna be." Arrested and treated as women of the night. Well, one of my, well, one of my favorite people in the world was, I think, born down in New Orleans. So, like, friend Elizabeth, and, so. And then, um, but, what was it? Oh, they started making chamber pots with uh, Butler's face on, on the bottom of the pot so you could do your business on them. Uh, God, I love that marketing. <laughs> You're right. I, I'm half tempted just. I'm half tempted to find one just to display it in my house. Well, it's like how I got all these chamber pots. Like I've got so many, I can't sell them. <gasps> I'll put his face on it. Right. We'll put Benjamin Butler's face on it. We can't keep him in stock. Now, the gang attempted to rob the bank in Northfield at about 2 p.m. To carry out the robbery, the gang divided into the two groups. Three men entered the bank, 
Two guarded the door outside and three remained near a bridge across an adjacent square. The robbers inside the bank were thwarted when acting cashier Joseph Lee Haywood refused to open the safe, falsely claiming that it was secured by a time lock, even as they held a bowie knife to his throat and cracked his skull with a pistol butt. That's called buffaloing people. Wyatt Earp used to do it. It's a quick it's a quick way to defuse a barroom fight with drunk cowboys. Sorry. Assistant cashier Alonzo Enos Bunker. Hey there, Edith. <laughs> he was wounded in the shoulder as he fled through the back door of the bank. Meanwhile, the citizens of Northfield grew suspicious of the men guarding the door, and they raised the alarm. The five bandits outside fired into the air to clear the streets, driving the townspeople to take cover and fire back from protected positions. They shot two bandits dead and wounded the rest in the barrage. Inside, the outlaws turned to flee. As they left, one shot the unarmed cashier Haywood in the head. Now, historians have speculated about the identity of the shooter, but they haven't decided who pulled the trigger. The bang, the, the bang, Durr, I, I'm losing it right now. The gang barely escaped Northfield, leaving two dead companions behind. They killed Haywood and Nicholas Gustafson, a Swedish immigrant from the Millersburg community west of Northfield. A substantial manhunt ensued. It is believed that the gang burned 14 Rice County mills shortly after the robbery. The James brothers eventually split from the others and escaped to Missouri. The militia soon discovered the Youngers and one other bandit, Charlie Pitts. Pitts died in a gunfight and the Youngers were taken to prison. Except for Frank and Jesse, the James Younger gang was destroyed. Later in 1876, Jesse and Frank surfaced in the Nashville, Tennessee area, where they went by the names of Thomas Howard and B.J. Woodson, respectively. Then they went down to get some Nashville-style barbecue. Check out the music scene. Frank seemed to settle down, but Jesse remained restless. He recruited a gang in 1879 and returned to crime, holding up a train at Glendale, Missouri. And Glendale is now a part of Independence, and Independence is the home of Harry S. Truman. Bet you didn't know that. Whoop, whoop. Raise the rope. Yes, he did. Now, on October 8, 1879, the robbery was the first in a spree of crimes, including the holdup of the federal paymaster of a canal project in Killen, Alabama, and two more robberies. But the new gang was not made up of battle-hardened guerrillas. They soon turned against each other or were captured. James grew suspicious of other members, he scared away one man, and some believe that he killed another gang member. I would not doubt it. 1879, the James Gang robbed two stores in far western Mississippi, at Washington in Adams County and Fayette in Jefferson County. The gang left with two grand from the second robbery and took shelter in abandoned cabins on the Kemp Plantation south of St. Joseph, Louisiana. A law enforcement posse attacked and killed two of the outlaws, but failed to capture the entire gang. 
See, even back then, cops were in there. Among the deputies was Jefferson B. Snyder, later a long-serving district attorney in northeastern Louisiana. By 1881, with local Tennessee authorities growing suspicious, the brothers returned to Missouri, where they felt safer. James moved his family to St. Joseph, Missouri in November of 1881, not far from where he had been born and reared. Frank, however, decided to move to a safer territory and headed east to settle in Virginia. They intended to give up the crime, but they had been reduced. The, gang, the James gang had only been reduced to just Frank and Jesse. With his gang nearly annihilated, James trusted only the Ford brothers, Charlie and Robert. Although Charlie had been out on raids with James, Bob Ford was an eager new recruit. For protection, James asked the Ford brothers to move in with him and his family. James had often stayed with their sister Martha Bolton, and according to rumor, he was smitten with her. Aww. By that time, Bob Ford had conducted secret negotiations with Missouri Governor Thomas T. Crittenden. Thank you. Planning to bring in the famous outlaw. Crittenden had made capture of the James brothers his top priority. In his inaugural address, he declared that no political motives could be allowed to keep them from justice. Barred by law from offering a large reward, he had turned to the railroad and express corporations to put up a $5,000 bounty for the, the delivery of each of them and an additional 5000 for the conviction of either of them. On April 3rd of 1882, after eating breakfast, the Fords and James went into the living room before traveling to Platte City for a robbery. From the newspaper, James had just learned that gang member Dick Little had confessed to participating in Wood Heights <laughs> murder. Yeah, L-I-D-V-I-L, get your mind out the gutter. I'm sorry, it's funny. <laughs> He was suspicious that the Fords had not told him about it. Robert Ford later said that he believed that James had realized they were there to betray him. Instead of confronting them, like a, you know, actual man would have done, James walked across the living room and laid his revolvers on a sofa. He turned around and noticed a dusty picture above the mantel and stood on a chair to clean it. Aw. Man over my own heart then. He just redeemed himself. Hubbard Ford drew his weapon and shot the unarmed Jesse James in the back of the head. Wow, that's a real beep beep move. James two previous bullet wounds and partially missing middle finger served to positively identify the body. Now, when I was there as a kid in the living room, you could there's a bullet hole in the wall where it happened. Uh-huh. And from what the guy told me, and, and I've been wanting to go back for years, I got I to gotta take a look and see how long of a drive St. Joseph is for me. Because it's on the other side of the state of Missouri. And it's over by, yeah, it's over by Kansas. Yeah. But um, I guess when... He said that there was some type of chicken grease or something on the floor to mark where Jesse fell. 
like they kind of just put something chicken yeah i i was like 10 when i was there so they had but like I in his mouth or something like oh well i i he my guess is he 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 was shot in the back back left and it was like bulging by one of his eyes kind of like Lincoln and so and what like Kennedy what like like back and to the, the right left. or where back and that's to it the left. thank you um yeah but okay, my guess is he would have he got shot he would have fell backward off of the chair backward or back yeah. and to the left back <laughs> I've been wanting to go back. Um, I, I haven't. I, I I really need to before the weather gets bad. And also, I could probably pick up some books on Jesse James. Sure. So, the death of Jesse James became a national sensation. The Fords made no attempt to hide their role. No. Robert Ford wired the governor to claim his reward. Crowds pressed into the little house in St. Joseph to see the dead bandits. The Foy brothers surrendered to the authorities and were dismayed to be charged with first-degree murder. In the course of a single day, the Foy brothers were indicted, pleaded guilty, or pled guilty, were sentenced to death by hanging, and were granted a full pardon by Governor Crittenden. Thank you. The governor's Quick pardon suggested he knew the brothers intended to kill James rather than capture him. Ah, the good old days with, you know, paper trails. Really. Um, or at least not, or at least not the, you know, internet trick. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, if you're making it known that you want him captured, you know how many cranks are going to show up at the fucking city or the, the governor's mansion? A few. But, but if you got a guy who's like, hey, I'm part of the gang. I can do this. Yeah. You can have some guy like showing up with the, the wheelbarrow or whatever, get like some dead body right left of the arm up, going, like waving the arm. And I'm like, see, here it is. <laughs> Runs up to the governor's mansion, dumps the body on the front yeah. doorstep. The implication that the chief executive of Missouri conspired to kill private citizens startled the public and added to the notoriety. After uh, receiving yeah. of the reward, the Fords fled Missouri. Sheriff James Timberlake, one of his related to Justin, and Marshal Henry H. Craig, who were law enforcement officials active in the plan, were awarded the majority of the bounty. But later, the four brothers starred in a touring stage show, of course, mm -hmm. in which they reenacted the shooting. They did have the Johnstown flood, too, actually. Anyway, if I remember yeah, reading that, there was reenactments. Yeah. They're the yeah. only weird people around here. <laughs> like this, you know, generations. Public opinion was divided between those against the Fords for murdering Jesse and those of the opinion that it had been time for the outlaw to be stopped. Suffering from tuberculosis and a morphine addiction, 
Charlie committed suicide on May 6, 1884 in Richmond, Missouri. Bob Ford operated a tent saloon in Creed, Colorado. On June 8, 1892, Edward O. Kelly went to Creed, loaded a double barrel, entered Ford's saloon and said, Hello, Bob, before shooting Ford in the throat, killing him instantly. Not surprised. O'Kelly was sentenced to life in prison, but his sentence was subsequently commuted because of a wow, 7,000 signature petition in favor of his release, as well as a medical condition. The governor of Colorado pardoned him on October 3rd, 1902, which is actually pretty impressive back then. They will get 7,000 people. Right. Especially when you got a guy that's going out toward and going, hey, I shot Jesse James. Uh Um, Hey, 7,000 people who like Jesse James. Or 7,000 people who don't like Jesse. (laughs) 7,000 people. You want Bob Free? Okay. James's original grave was on his family property, but he was later moved to a cemetery in Kearney. The original footstones are still the original footstone is still there, although the family has replaced the headstone. Now, Jesse's mother, Zarelva Samuel, wrote the following epitaph for him. In love and memory of my beloved son, murdered by a traitor and a coward whose name is not worthy to appear here. James's widow Zerelda died alone and in poverty. I'm also thinking, why would you put the guy's name on there? Yeah, I mean, like, that, how many times has yeah? It's not like is, um. That is something. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm I was killed by this guy. Uh, Mom, make sure you put his name on the tombstone. Yeah, I'm like both. Well, I was going to say Oswald, you know, with Kennedy, but right. Okay, assuming no question or whatever that it's just it's Oswald. Okay, everybody knows, agrees, whatever. Right. I'm not going to put his name on the stone. Oh no, it's not like Uh, you're going to go to Arlington to the Eternal Flame and go. National Park Service guy, come here. I know this Uh is. I know this is President Kennedy's grave, but uh, who in the hell killed him? I, I need to know. Can you put his name on? on yeah, on it's the, not on here. No. National well, Park that Service guys. Me of, um, they're going to look at you like, really? You don't know? Yeah. Um, that happened bomb? with the Pluto. It's like, uh, right. They're going to look at you like, have you been living in a bomb shelter? Yeah. Well, yes, I have. Mm-hmm. Well, the Pluto story, I told you that before, yeah. right? With names and everything. I must have been working that day. Yeah, it's the same deal. (laughs) I just did a movie reference for you. I kind of was like, I'm slightly distracted from all this stuff too. Yeah, well, living in a bomb shelter. It's one of my favorites too. That's (laughs) why I did it. Thank you. Oh, Tribeca Judge. Thank you very much. Okay, that's enough. Hey, Brennan. <laughs> Rumors of Jesse's survival proliferated almost as soon as the newspapers announced his death. 
Some said that Robert Ford killed someone other than James in an elaborate plot to allow him to escape justice. I've actually heard that theory. I, I, I have heard that. These tales have received little credence then or since. None of James's biographers accepted them as plausible. The body buried in Kearney, Missouri, marked Jesse James was exhumed in 1995 and subjected to mitochondrial DNA typing. The report prepared by Ann C. Stone, Ph.D., James E. Starris, LLM, and Mark Stone King, Ph.D., confirmed that the mitochondrial DNA recovered from the remains was consistent with the mitochondrial DNA of one of James' relatives in the female line. Theme of Survival was featured in a 2009 documentary, Jesse, which I did watch, Jesse James's Hidden Treasure, which aired on the History Channel. This documentary was dismissed as pseudo-history and pseudoscience by historian Nancy Samuelson in a review she wrote for the winter 2009-2010 edition of the James Younger Gang Journal. Now, this is one that, that I kind of know a little bit about because um, I was in the area. J. Frank Dalton claimed to be Jesse James. Dalton was allegedly 101 years old at the time of his first public appearance in May of 1948. Dalton died on August 15, 1951 in Granbury, Texas. Oren Baker, Hood County Sheriff, conducted a visual post-mortem exam and found he had 32 bullet wounds and a rope burn around his neck. He was buried in Granbury Cemetery, where the headstone bears the name of Jesse Woodson James. His story did not hold up to questioning from James's surviving relatives. Wait, wasn't that on like an episode of Unsolved Mysteries? I yeah. Think. Okay. Um, and, and the reason why I know a little bit about it is when I lived in Oklahoma, down in Fort Sill, there's this place called like Medicine Lake. Real cool place. And part of it looks like an old West town, which is why I loved it. And in one of the buildings there, they had pictures of Dalton hanging up on the wall because there's a legend. It's a local legend that um, Jesse hid some money somewhere around there from the robber from a robbery. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a local legend. Yeah, which I was reminded, like in the middle of this, I was reminded, like I want to mention at the end, one of the um, the Beyond Belief mm -hmm. Factor Fiction, one of my all-time favorite shows, and I've gotten James into it now too, kind of. So okay, they did um, an episode. Well, one of the stories was of Jesse and Frank um well go yeah. back a little bit this okay I'll read it from the article in this episode an elderly widow lived 40 miles from her nearest neighbor and was about to lose her home there was a knock on her door one night and two young men who were soaking wet entered her house she gave them dry clothing that had belonged to her husband fed them, and then told them her tale. She said the banker was coming the next morning to kick her out because she did not have $900 to pay the mortgage. 
They all went to sleep, and the next day the widow woke up to find her strange visitors had gone. It's not clear if she ever found out that she had the outlaws Frank and Jesse James in her home. The infamous brothers left behind for their host a token of their appreciation. The widow found an envelope with $900 and a note telling her to make sure to get a receipt when she paid off the mortgage. When the banker arrived, he was shocked that this elderly woman had the money to pay him. He was even more stunned that she asked for a receipt, which most people did not do, but he did give it to her. As he was riding away, he was robbed of the $900 by the James brothers. So... The brothers did says like they waited on the banker to retrieve the money from the widow. Then they robbed him. But he couldn't say when he went back to the bank, he couldn't say she didn't have it and she'd be thrown out because she had the receipt. Right. So, yeah, she got to keep the home and they got to keep the money. And that was actually the was the true story, because at the end, they, they revealed that it was. Frank, at the end of the yeah. show part, it revealed that it was Frank and Jesse James, and that, you know, the, like, which stories are true and false came out that it was actually a true story. You know, it, it's Pretty weird cool. because the Old West created a lot of a lot of legend, legendary people, Wyatt or Bat Masterson, and a lot of good outlaws like Black Bart. Uh, Jesse James, Butch and Sundance. Yeah. And you had this really short period between... I mean, five. Although they were later on, but... <laughs> you only give me a look, like... Really? <laughs> well, there, there was a female robber, a Bell Star. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, you had this real short period between 18... End of Civil War, so 1866... To like 1880, where these guys were just, you know, hitting places. And a lot of it was because of reconstruction policies, reconstruction governments. And then once the, this Redeemer Party started happening in the 80s, taking back 1880s, and they started taking back, the Democrats started taking back the governments, the guys like Jesse James were just no longer needed. So you're just like, okay, well, uh, you're not really needed. You're still going to rob banks, so we're going to put you in jail. Or just kill you somehow. I mean, some did go to jail. But each of you sorted out by just killing each other. You know, a lot of these guys lived fast, died, lived fast, died hard. Live fast, die young, and leave a pretty corpse. Or some, because it doesn't sound like his corpse was too pretty anyway. But um, I'm going to see if I can find a, a picture. I'll send it to you offline. Yeah. Of what of, and it wasn't, you know, and this was back in the day when like an outlaw would be uh, be killed. Mm-hmm. They would display him in town for people to come see to make sure he was dead. Like, um, 
what was it, Bloody Bill Anderson, when they killed him, they put him on display in the center of town. Mm-hmm. And people were just like, hey, let's go see Bloody Bill's body. Very British of them. <laughs> right, you know? It, it, it's really weird, but yeah, they, they did that. Mm-hmm. I know uh, another story and the, the kind of ties into all this in a, in a weird way. Uh, the Sand Creek Massacre that happened in Colorado during the Civil War. Uh, Colonel Shevington actually displayed the body the body of the, the family that was supposedly murdered by hostiles. And it was mm-hmm. a, a husband, wife, and their two children and he displayed them and the point he did that was just to to get people pissed off about you know the native american atrocities so that they could he could raise up a a militia unit and uh go take go kill them yeah well what's more like what's going to get you more upset reading it or you know you'll be like eh, that's a shame or right. walking past the bodies. I mean, you know, it does right. make what's, sense. What's going to get you more upset? You know? Yeah. Right. And I remember um, Spielberg did this miniseries called Into the West and he covered it. The Sand Creek Massacre. And at one point, he was played by Tom Berenger, a great actor. And he's standing there going, this could be your neighbor. This could, you know, playing on that exact same fear. Mm-hmm. So we are going to wrap this one up, folks. I'm glad you stuck around with us. You know where to find us. You know where to find the show. Check your podcast apps. Join us on the Facebook page and for Killers, Cults, and Nut Jobs. I am Scotty J. Say good night, Monica. Good night, Monica.